Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 70th episode of the Surprise Jab Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Zach Ruger, surprising you through topics every single week and jabbing you with your daily dose of UFC. Of course, the main topic of today's podcast will be UFC Vegas 87, headlined this weekend by top 15 heavyweights, Jarzinho Rosenstruck from Suriname, Africa, and the debuting, or not debuting, but debuting into the main event scene, Shamil Gazia from Baran, actually from Dagestan, Russia, but very excited for this card. This is one of the better Apex cards that the UFC has put on. I usually critique the Apex cards because of how poorly they are, but this one's actually loaded with a lot of up-and-coming talent. We're seeing a lot of rushing, you know, those Dagestani wrestlers on this card, which is exciting to see. That goes down 3 o'clock Central Time uh, for, uh, Saturdays, Central Time for us Minnesota people. Yes, if my brain will think correctly. But yeah, that's super giving a super fun card. Can't wait to break that all down as the main event of our episode. Also on today's episode, we're back with the 48 Laws of Power. That's right, I've been absolutely loving this book. We got three new laws for you to talk about today. And honestly, I've just been getting into a lot of psych- psychology videos when I'm on the treadmill at the gym, when I'm on the bike. You know, when I'm hitting my cardio, I've been watching some psychology videos, listen to some, some psychology videos, and I'm just really intrigued with everything, and that's really what the 48 Laws of Power is. It's, it's using psychology, it's using human interaction to really obtain power in the world. Of course, going to be doing a little NBA NHL check-in. Haven't done that in about two weeks or about a week or so. Um, also going to be looking at The Bachelor. The Bachelor, of course. Recently watched uh, All Cut Up on that now. Going to briefly mention that. And our surprise topic for this episode is we are going to be listing our GOAT of every division in the UFC. That's right, the greatest of all time in every division, not overall, but... Yeah, other than that, a lot of other surprises along the way. I can't believe that I'm going on spring break tomorrow. I mean, it just doesn't even seem real. It doesn't even seem real to me. I'm not even burnt out from the semester. I've actually just been, I've been enjoying the hustle, been enjoying the grind with learning so much here in the semester. And, you know, the people I'm around, you know, I just, I'm always excited to be doing things every day, which is honestly so good. When you wake up each day, happy to see people, happy to be achieving things, it honestly makes the day so much better. But it'll be nice to see the family, nice to see the girlfriend, and there may or may not be a surprise episode in Chicago for UFC 299 with the one and only the great Ryan Benecki. We are also working on getting some other guests on the podcast. I've just been kind of having a bit of trouble setting it all up, especially with how busy my schedule's been this semester. But we could be getting some new people on, some old people on. We're working on all of that, including... Something that is going to be put into the works over spring break. We may or may not be. We may or may not be developing a surprise jab podcast website. And one of my good friends may or may not be writing weekly articles, monthly articles for the website. We're going to be working on all of that in the future to come as well as videoing. Okay, I know one of the thumbnails that everyone sees on Instagram. Sometimes I post a TikTok. You know, that's not actually where I record. I sit at my desk in my room. It's much more easier. There's not any outside distractions, but we're going to try and find a secluded area potentially next year, next semester, maybe in the fall to actually begin recording myself because I know that can really help and I can post reels and stuff and continue to gain attraction to the Surprise Jab podcast. But we got a lot to go through today and I still got a paper to write tonight. I still got a homework assignment to do. We got stuff to be done and yes, it will all be done. So without ado, folks, let's get right on into it with what we always open 
each episode with some new UFC news. And there hasn't been much. There has not been much. But as always, there's always something. There's always something we can poke at, something we can look at to obtain some new knowledge of what's going on in the UFC sphere. So since we last spoke on Monday, it's um, beneficial now that Raul Rosas Jr. and Ricky Tercios will not be rebooked for this weekend's card, and it's actually canceled at the moment, which is a shame. The 19-year-old Raul Rosas Jr. was looking forward to him whooping the weird Ricky Tercios. Unfortunately, that fight will not be taking place as of right now. I hope that both of those men can get the fight worked out. If not, I just want to see Raul Rosso's junior fight. So hopefully that can materialize, but if not, what a shame. Also in the news is Paulo Costa has apparently not officially been booked, but is rumored to be on that UFC 301 card, which is going down in Brazil, uh, May 4th, of course. And as we look at the middleweight rankings, Paulo Costa coming off that uh, fight of the night, in my opinion, against Robert Whitaker, just about two weeks ago, you know, he's sitting at the number seven spot. He, I, I don't think he's going to fight up. I don't think they're going to give him number four ranked Jared Cannonier. I don't see that. Number eight, Nazanin Imovov just fought. Number nine, Jacker Manson just fought. Um, you also have number 15 ranked Kyle Barallo, number 12, Paul Craig fighting soon. So we could potentially see Paulo Costa taking on number 13th ranked Anthony Hernandez, number 14th ranked Chris Curtis. Dare I even say they do the Nazarene Imovov fight? I don't exactly know. It could also be a debuting fighter into the weight class, but it would be amazing to see Paulo Costa fight next. I mean, the eraser is just, he's such so entertaining and he showed he still got it. He still got it after over a year off um, when he fought Robert Whitaker at UFC 298. Wishing the best for Paulo Costa, and if he does fight on that card, it makes it even, even better. Also, some more unfortunate news is that our new featherweight champion, Ito Pira, said he will most likely return in October and November for a UFC Spain card. So we are not going to be seeing our featherweight champion until the fall, not even early fall. It's going to be late October, early November. So that's certainly a bummer, as I do enjoy watching him fight, but, you know, that's that's just sometimes how it goes. Um, actually, speaking speaking of that, um, thinking about the rankings and stuff, the UFC rankings actually did update since we last spoke, so let's do a quick analysis of that. After UFC Mexico, of course, Brandon Royval's win over Brandon Moreno has boosted him from the number three ranking to the number one spot at men's flyway. Brandon Moreno now ranked number two. Amir Albazi now ranked number three. I don't know if a title shot is next for Brandon Royval. I really feel like it should be Brandon versus Amir. Winner gets a title shot, but we'll see what the UFC elects to go with. You do have Mohamed Mokayev, number eight ranked at the moment, fighting this weekend, who could potentially sneak in for a title shot. We'll talk about him later on the card. Featherweight, Brian Ortega's win over Raier Rodriguez boosts him from four to three. Brian Ortega is now ranked at number three, but I think he's got a matchup at number five. Mosfar Evlov coming up this summer for a chance to fight um, Iatopira, maybe in Spain, depending how good Max Holloway looks against Justin Gaethje. We'll see what materializes there, but happy for Brian Ortega. As for Yair, it's tough to say where he goes from here. He could quite honestly fight anyone below him, literally any up-and-comer. But those are the only rankings that really updated this weekend. Nothing else, nothing else really uh, happened elsewhere over the card. But, you know, it never hurts to check things out. And the only fight announcement that we officially got was Court McGee versus Alex Morono for UFC uh, a, UFC Vegas 90, 91. One of those going down April 6th, of course, at the Apex 
both too good on ranked welterweights. I really favor Alex Morono in that one. I feel like he's super talented, and Court McGee is kind of on the way out. We'll see what happens, but that's not too bad of a fight. It perfectly fits what the apex is for putting on kind of, I don't really want to call it subpar. That feels kind of mean, but it is kind of is kind of a subpar fight, if you, uh, if you will. Um, but yeah, that's all the UFC news I got for you guys today. Um, but you know, I don't know. Hopefully there's some new news that come out by next time we meet Monday. Other than that, nothing too much. Moving on to our next thing. I mean, I've been waiting, 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 waiting to talk about this. And that is our NBA and NHL check-ins. Uh, the NBA, of course, just got over their all-star break. And after the break, I mean, Timberwolves back to where they belong, top of the West. But let's look at the Eastern Conference first. As the Celtics remain the best team in the NBA, 46-12 record, 27-3 at home. They're 9-1 and their last 10 on a nine-game win streak. Yeah, this team, eight games ahead of the Cavaliers, who are the second-place team in the East. Celtics got to be the favorite for the NBA championship at the moment. Cavaliers, of course, 38 and 20. They're 6 and 4 their last 10. Not too bad. Bucks, 38 and 21. 5 and 5 their last 10. They are in a three game heater, though, as they sit in the third spot. Knicks, 35 and 24. They're in the fourth spot. Heat on a five game win streak, 8 and 2 their last 10. Currently sitting in fifth with a record of 33 and 25. Jimmy Buckets doing the best he can to keep the Heat in contention. Joel Embiid and the 76ers sit at 33 and 25. They are on a two-game losing streak, though. Pacers, Magic, and Bulls hold your 7-8-9 spots, both on a one-game win streak. Hawks 26 and 32. Trey Young haven't been hearing much about him. They're on a two-game win streak, though. As we get to the bottom of the pack, Pistons 9 and 49 are now tied with the Wizards for worst team in the East. Wizards 9 and 49 themselves on a 12-game losing streak absolutely insane that the Pistons, who we were talking about at one point could be the worst team in NBA history, are now not even almost the worst team in the league. Wizards, no idea what's going on. Kyle Kuzma, you really should have accepted that trade. Raptors and Hornets. Hornets are 15 and 43. Raptors are 22 and 37, sitting at the 12 and 13 spot in the West. Both are 5 and 5, their last 10. But yeah, Wizards, I mean, just absolutely atrocious. Pistons have no talent. They just have Kate Cunningham, and that's about it. Let's move to the Western Conference, the conference I actually care about. My Timberwolves have been absolutely killing it. 42 and 17. They are 29 and 8 in conference play. 22 and 6 at home. 8 and 2 their last 10. They are on a three-game win streak. Close behind them, only 0.5 games behind the Thunder in second place. 41 and 17 record. They're also 8 and 2 the last 10, but are on a six-game heater. This young Thunder team has been absolutely balling. I would not want to play them in the playoffs. Number three, Nuggets. They also reach 40 wins, 40 and 19. They're on a four-game win streak. Nikola Jokic, I mean, he. I just don't get how he's so good. It's actually just amazing how he can get the ball in the hoop as he does. Nikola Jokic, the Joker, such a fun talent to watch. In fourth place, the Clippers, 37 and 20. They are 5 and 5 of the last 10 and are on a two-game losing streak. And they recently gave up a 21-point comeback to the second-best player of all time, LeBron James, just the other night. That is right. LeBron is not my goat. But after what he did last night, I can't disrespect him no more. He truly is the king of the NBA as we speak. Not the king of the world. That's Jesus Christ. Had to plug you, my lord. There you go. And number five is the Suns, 34 and 24. KD and Booker. 
they're they're all right. Pelicans 35 and 25. You know they they're coming off a loss. Mavericks 34 and 25. You know the Mavericks it almost baffles me. You got Kyrie. You got Luka Doncic. They, they just I just feel they should be better than they are. But Luka just. You know, it's all about how the team plays. And the Timberwolves are playing excellent defense. And Anthony Edwards is turning into a top five player in the NBA. He's doing absolutely astounding. Luka, as amazing as you are, as close of the MVP race as it is, you just need more people around you. Kings are in eighth with a 33 and 25 record. Lakers 32 and 28, currently at the nine spot, looking to sneak into that playing game by the time the playoffs come. Warriors 30 and 27, still have a positive record despite sitting at the number 10 spot in the Western Conference, coming off a win. Jazz are 27 and 32. Walker Kessler may be good, but this Jazz team isn't. Rockets 25 and 33. Grizzlies 20 and 39, both equally bad. Blazers 15 and 42 on a nine-game losing streak. Spurs 11 and 48 on a five-game losing streak. Very tough for Victor Wembanyama. You know, what to be expected from the terrible Spurs team? They don't. They have no one besides Victor. Trailblazers actually don't really have any star player. And the Grizzlies, you know, they're just trying to work out this hole that they got in early in the season. And John Morant can only do so much. We got a long way for the NBA though, but. If I'm going to be honest, I don't know if the Timberwolves are going to finish with the number one seed, but we are definitely going to finish with either the one, two, or three seed. I can't. I keep trying to do Sims on NBA 2K24, and every time I do a Sim, it gives me the Clippers and Hawks in the freaking NBA Finals, which is just not realistic, I feel. I, I don't know. We'll, um, we'll see how it all plays out. Long road to go. I will not probably watch any actual NBA games till the playoffs. And I'm talking like elimination games till the playoffs. But March Madness is coming up, and I cannot wait to get into March Madness. You might hear a bit of that talk when I'm uh, we have Ryan on. If that does happen, I have to bring that up to him. Alrighty, let's check in with our puck boys. And my actual buddies are actually playing a 3v3 hockey game tonight. Was debating checking it out, but I got stuff to do. This podcast won't record itself. And I've I've quite honestly been doing homework since 12 this afternoon. I've literally been doing homework all day. Obviously socializing, obviously hit up the gym. Obviously I've eaten, but I mean, just come on. Come on, how much homework can one boy do? Clearly a lot. Onto the ice we go in the Eastern Conference. And actually, let me double check. Tied for the number one team in the league, but top of the Eastern Conference, the New York Rangers. 40 wins, only 20 losses, three of which were in OT. They have 83 points, plus 37 point differential. Not too shabby. They are 9-1 their last 10. New York Rangers bringing back the glory days. Panthers are in second in the Eastern Conference, and they're also tied for the number two team in the league. Florida Panthers sitting at 39-16 and 16 for uh, overtime losses. So, I mean, 39 wins, 20 losses. Um, not too shabby. Plus 52 point differentials. Absolutely astounding. They're on a two-game winning streak, 8-2 and two, their last 10. Boston Bruins in third with 82 points as well, uh, 34 wins. They have 26 losses, three-game winning streak, I believe. It says OT3. Does that mean they've won three games in overtime? That, that'd be pretty crazy. Hurricanes, 35-18 and 6 are in fourth. Uh, Maple Leafs in fifth. Detroit Red Wings, 33, Red Wings, Detroit Red Wings, 33, 20, and 6, have 72 points. They have a plus 27 point differential and are on a six-game heater. Not too bad, putting themselves in the playoff race in the East. Flyers in 7th and Tampa Bay Lightning in 8th, both with 69 points. 
Towards the bottom of the pack, got the Columbus Blue Jackets, worst team in the East. They have a 19-29-10 record, 48 points to show, minus 43-point differential. I will point out one interesting thing. The Penguins are sitting in 11th place with a 27-21-8 record, 62 points, and have a plus 16-point differential. Right above them in 10th place with the same number of wins, 27, 22 regular uh, losses, 9 in OT, 63 points. They have a minus 33-point differential. That is absolutely crazy. So the Penguins have scored scored and you know they've scored more and given up less than you know than the capitals by 49 and yet still are right below them i find that absolutely fascinating nothing else much to talk about senators canadian sabers islanders all kind of bottom of the pack lots to unpack as the season winds down to an end but i will say the canadians with minus 44 point differential are giving up the most points without scoring more in the eastern conference Let's move to the West, where tied for best team in the league, best team in the West, the Vancouver Canucks, 38-16-7 record. They also have 83 points and a league best plus 51-point differential. They have gone 4-4-2 in their last 10, though, so pretty all over, pretty all over the place. Winnipeg Jets in second with 79 points, four-game win streak, 37 wins, 20 losses. Stars, 35 wins, 26 losses, also have 79 points, so plus 31-point differential, not too bad. All these all these NHL teams are just all over the place in their last 10. I mean, you got the Avalanche and the Golden Knights sitting at fourth, the fourth spot and the fifth spot in the West. 36 wins for the Avalanche, 19 for the Golden Knights, both in the 70s for uh, uh, total points. And they've gone 4-5-1 in their last 10. So they've just been all over the place, middle of the pack. Predators and Flames both on win streaks. Predators are 33-25-2 with 68 points. They have gone 7-3 their last 10 on a six-game win streak. Calgary Flames, 29 wins, 25 losses in regular overtime. Uh, no, five in uh, shootout, if you will. I said that wrong, but four-game win streak for them. They've also gone 7-3 the last 10. Looking to squeeze into that playoffs because I believe the NHL only does the top eight teams. They don't have a playoff format, so it's you get in in the top eight and then you're in. But if not, you're not. So they take the top fifty from each division. Blues sitting in tenth. Wild sitting in eleventh. My Minnesota Wild have gone seven two and one. Their last ten are coming off a loss the other night. Minus eight point differential, but we are only three spots away from a wild card spot. I don't think that's too bad. Worst team in the league, though, is my um, family's favorite hockey team, my cousins. The Chicago Blackhawks, without Connor Bedard, they sit at 15 wins, 39 losses in the regular period, 5 in overtime. They are tied, though, with the Sharks for most amount of points, or least amount of points, 35. They have a minus 85 point differential, only one win in their last 10, and they have lost two straight in overtime. San Jose Sharks in 15th in the West, 15 wins as well, 35 points tied with the Blackhawks, but they do have a league-worst minus 102-point differential on a four-game losing streak. Ducks, Coyotes, Kraken, all kind of middle of the pack. So your big boys for the year, your only 80-point teams are the Vancouver Canucks with 38 wins. You got the Boston Bruins with 34 wins, 82 points. Panthers with 39, 82 points. And actually the best team in the league with wins is the New York Rangers with 83 points. Season rages on, and we will continue to do our little check-ins here and there which I find fun. I really do find it fun checking in with the leagues. And the more I think about March Madness, which is, isn't related to the NBA or NHL, the more I think about how chaotic it is going to be. 
to uh, go over March Madness on this podcast. I mean, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to be able to gather enough data to tell you guys. I don't know if I'm going to make my official bracket live on the podcast. I, I feel like that could be, that could be pretty fun. You know, now that I think about it, that could actually be, that could actually be a bit of a blast. But that's the coming March. As for now, there's only been one show I've been watching where you eliminate people every week, and it ain't March Madness. No. This plays with the power of love. That's right, and I ain't no fruitcake, and it is not feminine to watch this. I just enjoy a little good reality TV. That is right. We have been watching The Bachelor with Joey Grisadi. I mean, he has been quite the funny bachelor, quite the funny bachelor. He's actually been on The Bachelorette. He's been on uh, The Golden Bachelor, Good Morning America. I mean, this dude's been on all sorts of all sorts of uh, different, different um, activities, but... As we are uh, moving along, we are now down to our final four women of the podcast of the po- of the show. My gosh, I'm all over the place. You know, that's what the bo- that's what the freaking bachelor does to me. It sends me all over the place. And with the final four women left, we currently have Daisy Kent, who is from Becker, Minnesota. I actually delivered there over the summer. Loved that drive. It was like an hour, killed an hour of my day. Two hours because I had to go there and back. Fun place to deliver to. Kelsey Anderson, who's from Louisiana. Maria Georges, um, who is from Ontario. And Rachel Nance, who's from Honolulu, Hawaii. And, uh, yep, and they're the final four. And I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be honest. I'm a little surprised Rachel's been kept, but a friend of mine brought up to me that Joey probably wanted to go to Hawaii, which is why he kept Rachel on. Hometowns is the next episode coming out Monday, March 4th. And why is that such a good episode, you may ask? Well, that's because one guy who's dating four different women has to ask either the father or mother, who's ever the main parent, or just grandfather or, you know, friend or whatever, whoever is the person you ask in someone's life to marry them. We'll just assume it's always the father or, in the case of no father, the mother. If he can marry their daughter with the knowledge that he is dating three other people, and the fact that any of these people would say yes is absolutely absurd. And I already saw some of the spoilers from next week. Not really spoilers, but the clips they show is a little preview. And it looks like a majority of the parents are going to say, no, 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 Joey, you cannot do that. Um, there have been so many women on this episode, and I'm honestly surprised uh, Jen, Jen was one of the women that she didn't move on, I I don't know how Rachel moved on, it's definitely just a going to Hawaii thing, which is why Joey kept her, but I thought Jen, he was really feeling, Kelsey T, not so much, Caitlin, you know, Lee, there, there have been a lot of bad women on this episode, there's there's just some unlikable personalities, but as we get down to the final few, I, I just don't know what to expect. I don't know what to expect, but I will give my prediction live here on the podcast, as I do, as I do. First off, I miss the old host. You know, I don't really mind Jesse Palmer, but I, I like the old guy. I can't remember his name, but um, whoever the old host was. He, was, he was more fun. He was more vibrant, but final four, I mean, Daisy, Minnesota girl. I really like her. She seems like so sweet. Her family owns a freaking um, Christmas tree farm. I mean, can you get more, more adorable, more wholesome than that? I, I don't know. I feel like Joey likes her. I feel like she might be the best for him. Like, I can see those who get married. She actually has something with her ear where she has, like, a stunt implant in her head or something. I don't know. She's probably the favorite for me. She's probably the favorite for me, and that's biased because I am rooting for her because she's from Minnesota. I mean, anyone from Minnesota, I'll root for you. I mean, come on. Any UFC fighter in the UFC, you could be fighting prime John Jones. I'll pick you, okay? Kelsey A., you know, I've heard, I've been hearing, 
from uh, through the gossip gossip train, the gossip vine, if you will, the grapevine, that uh, she's been posting a lot of TikToks that have been making people think that she was the winner. You know, I do kind of get the vibe Joey likes being with her. He's an absolute F-boy, if you ask me. He literally makes out with all the girls, tells them all these amazing things, but that is what The Bachelor is. But, you know, she might be in number two spot for me. Maria is in third. Okay, the thing with Maria is she's I, I like her so much just because she is just so blunt. She tells all the women off, and she is just so upfront with everything she says. And she was realistic last episode. She was being so realistic. She was like, hey, you know, I don't really feel comfortable with you dating all these women. I want you to be mine. And that's exactly what dating is. So, I mean, I I don't see what why he had a problem with that. But there were obviously some issues there. And her father's a freaking billionaire, I was informed. I don't exactly know what he does, but... You know, we can we can always look that up, but I mean, and from the stuff I was saying is that seeing of the previews is that she's never brought a boy home, and her dad, you know, that's his baby girl. He doesn't want just any guy being with her, so she, she probably lands in the number three spot for me. And Rachel, I legit don't think they have a connection. I just don't think Rachel and Joey have a connection. He just wanted to go to Hawaii. They already showed in the preview clips that she's bawling her eyes out. Her mother's very hesitant. So Rachel will, without a doubt, be gone. And then it's honestly a toss-up between Daisy, Kelsey, and Maria for who will remain into the final two. But someone brought up to me that they think that uh, hometown should be between the final two, which would make even more sense because, I mean, when it's four women, that's just so, so much harder. But when it's between one or the other, I feel like the family would be more likely to want him to come to them instead of being realistic and going, okay, my daughter has a 25% chance of ending up with you. What, what do you want from us? So Bachelor continues to move on, continues to rage on. It is quite possibly one of the uh, most, I don't, know, I don't know what word to use, immoral, unethical. There's just something about just having one guy date 32 women and eliminate them one by week, which gives him such an ego boost. Like whenever he's crying on the show about his own insecurities, I'm like, bro, I know some of my friends who would kill to be in your position. Don't be unhappy. But as for me, I am I'm not a bachelor man. I could not do the bachelorette or be a bachelor. I couldn't, I couldn't freaking choose between all of these women. I like, I like, I like girl. I like my girlfriend, Lexi. I love you. I don't need to be a bachelor. I'm sure you'll appreciate that. And you should bring it up to me so I know you listen to this. Alrighty, that's enough bachelor talk. Let's get into something manly, guys. Okay, let's get into something powerful. That's right. Gosh. Okay, I know I shouldn't call it out, but my segues are just so so good. The 48 Laws of Power we took Monday off because I didn't read any of any of them over the weekend. But nonetheless, we're back. Everyone's favorite series. I mean, I've had so many people hit me up going, Zach, can I read that book after you're done? Zach, I want to turn with that book. I want to know all about it. And I'm like, sorry, everyone. I'm using it to take over the world. I'm obviously being sarcastic, or am I? But yes, let's get into the 48 Laws of Power. We have three new laws, 40, 41, and 42, and we're winding down. It honestly makes me sad. We could be done. Um, actually, I don't know how much I'm going to read over spring break, but we could be done with this in the coming week. Most likely in two weeks, we will be officially, officially done. So let's treasure the times we've had, but I'm actually probably going to reference this book throughout the rest of my life. But let's not waste any more time. Law number 40 is despise the free lunch. Despise the free lunch. And here's what it says. What is offered for free is dangerous. It usually involves either a trick or a hidden obligation. 
What has worth is worth paying for. By paying your own way, you stay clear of gratitude, guilt, and deceit. It is also often wise to pay the full price. There is no cutting corners with excellence. Be lavish with your money and keep it circulating, for generosity is a sign and a magnet for power. I absolutely love this. And the issue is, is that I fall into the category with people where if something's free, I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it. If someone's offering me something free, I'm taking it without really think, thinking twice about it. But after reading this, it really makes me analyze what I should take for free and what I shouldn't take for free. Example for you, and this isn't even from the book. I uh, My professor put out an uh, email late last semester about giving away a free TV. Immediately, you know, I'm a phone whore. I'm on my phone all the time. Terrible habit. But I see the email. I respond. I'm like, free 65-inch TV. I respond. Don't think anything about it. I'm like, okay, there's like 100 people in my class. I'm not going to win it. Yeah, I'm a lucky boy. I won the TV. All right, I pick it up from him. All's good. He just tells me, okay, there's just a little issue. When you turn it on, sometimes it freezes up. Okay, nothing too bad. And, you know, as much as I got this free TV, every time it's, I start it up, sometimes I have to turn it off multiple times because it freezes when it starts, and it usually begins to work. But at the same time, you know, it was free, and it doesn't work perfectly like the TV that I own by myself. Just a little side note for you that I have some personal experience with this. Let's get into some quotes here, all right? Um, ba -ba -ba -bum. Money and power, which is the key to this, all right? In the realm of power, everything must be judged by its cost, all right? Such as... I mean, as much as it, you think about groceries and their cost, you also have to think about going to the gym is such a cost. First off, you need gym clothes, okay? You need a gym membership, and the cost of time that it takes to be there, the cost of your body, yeah, everything it costs. What is offered for free or at a bargain rate often comes with a psychological price tag, complicated feelings of obligation, compromises with quality, the insecurity those compromises bring on and on. The powerful learn only to protect their, early on they learn to protect their most valuable resources, independence, and room to maneuver. By paying the full price, they keep themselves free of dangerous entanglements and worries. I think my grandpa Tom is a perfect example of this. He's got a lot of money. He's got a lot of money. He's good, he's good on money, okay? He's been very successful in his lifetime, worked very, very hard for all his money. And one thing I do notice is he always has money circulating. He's always donating money. He's always making money. You know, he's always offering to pay for stuff. I mean, I'm at the casino. He's sitting at the table. I walk up to him like, Grandpa, I just lost $25. He hands me 20 chips and goes, all right, go play. You know, doesn't even have to say anything twice about it. He always keeps it circulating. And the thing is, is that, you almost feel an obligation to help him with stuff then since he's always giving out free things. And the funny thing is, is he never asks for anything, you know? He comes into the house and I just grab his suitcase and bring it right on upstairs because I know, I know that he might offer me throughout the weekend a freebie of some sort, okay? And what does that freebie come with? The cost of me expecting to give him something. Very, very interesting. I wonder if he's read this book. I should ask him. But here are the different types of... um. What, what do you want to call it? Um, the poisonous natures out there in the world that will, you know, for everyone, here's what it says. For everyone able to play with money, thousands more are locked in a self-destructive refusal to use money creatively and strategically. These types represent the opposite pole to the powerful, and you must learn to recognize them and avoid them.
Here are what they are. You first have the greedy fish. The greedy fish take the human side out of money. Cold and ruthless, they see only the lifeless balance sheet, viewing others slowly as either pawns or obstructions in their pursuit of wealth. They trample on people's sentiments and alienate valuable allies. No one wants to work with the greedy fish, and over the years they end up isolated, which often proves their undoing. Think of all the rich and powerful that truly are only out for the money. They don't care about us. Think of Bill Gates. Bill Gates has definitely read this book. Okay, Bill Gates is out for power, yet he's become the greedy, greedy fish. Dare I say Elon Musk? Dare I say Jeff Bezos? Yeah, they act like they do good, but they're all about their profits. Next one up, the bargain demon. Powerful people judge everything by what it costs, not just in money, but in time, dignity, and peace of mind. And this is exactly what bargain demons do, or cannot do. They cannot do that. They waste valuable time digging for bargains. Ah, they worry endlessly about what they could have gotten elsewhere for a little less. On top of that, the bargain item they do buy is often shabby. Perhaps it needs costly repairs or will have to be replaced twice as fast as high-quality items. The cost of these pursuits, not always in money, through the, through, through the price of a bargain is often deceptive, but in time and peace of mind, discourage normal people from undertaking them. But for the bargain demon, the bargain is an end in itself. You got to be careful. You got to be careful. And what I've really gotten out of this law, law number 40, this buys a free lunch, is you should buy things that are high quality. You should pay the full price for things, but you have to make sure you can afford it. Okay, and that also means not accepting something cheaper. That is writing out there, because you hear this all the time, if you write out what you want, when you want it, by a specific date, and how you're going to get there, I mean, you'll accomplish it. I have a lot of goals written on my calendar for the year, okay? I have a lot of goals re written on my whiteboard for the week. And one important thing that I always just do is that I'm always just thinking, how can I achieve it? You know, I wrote down on my board, I want to have $30,000 in my bank account by the end of December. And it's like day by day goes by and I feel like I'm just spending more money, spending more money. But it's like in my brain, I just have that instinctive feeling that I'm going to achieve that goal. And I don't know how, but it's like, I, I just always have this feeling that when I want something, I'm going to achieve it. I'm going to get it, even if I don't have a plan to. I have to get an internship by the summer, by the first weekend of May. Okay, I should have an internship. And it's almost March. And, you know, I've been on the hunt. I've been applying. Maybe I could have started in December, early January, but, you know, better late than never. And as much as I should be stressing, I feel, I just have the feeling everything will work out. I just I just really do. And that maybe that's God. Maybe that's just my positive nature. But that's just that's just really how I feel. Back to the law. Beware of the sadist. Financial sadists play vicious power games with money as a way of asserting their power. They might, for example, make you wait for money that is owed you. Oh, I can tell you a story about my friends with that. Promising you that the check is in the mail. Or if they hire you to work for them, they meddle in every aspect of the job, haggling and giving you ulcers. Sadists seem to think that paying for something gives them the right to torture and abuse the seller. They have no sense of the courier element in money. Mm. We've talked about the courtier before. If you are unlucky enough to get involved with this type, accepting a financial loss may be better in the long run than gain entangled in their destructive power games. That's a very interesting one. My friends actually worked in this. They were basically door knockers, if you will, getting leads for um, this one kid we know's uh, dad who runs like a construction company or roofing, siding or whatever. And I know three of them who actually are owed $1,000 from... 
uh, what it's not incentives is it's not a bonus commission that he they each have like a thousand dollars up to in commissions that haven't been paid and apparently they there is no legal obligation to pay them it was kind of under the table if you will very very sketchy scenario and I really hope they can get their money but they must have been dealing with a sadist final person to watch out for is the indiscriminate giver indiscriminate indiscriminate giver ooh what a big word generosity has a definitive function and power it attracts people softens them up makes allies out of them but it has to be used strategically with a definitive end in mind indiscriminate givers on the other hand are generous because they want to be loved and admired by all yeah and their generosity is so indiscriminate and needy that it may not have the desired effect if they give to one and all why should the recipient feel special attractive as it may seem to make an indiscriminate giver your mark in any involvement with this type you will often feel burdened by their insatiable emotional needs i mean we all we all know someone who just wants to give 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 and i think what i've learned is that when i'm focusing in on a specific person a specific place just anything in life where i want that i want their time i want something they have i need like something intellectual from them you focus on them and even you make a point when you're in a room with people to specifically just get do a favor for them just you know you're around all the boys and you know one of them says hey can someone grab me a beer you say yeah i got you i'll go grab it and then someone else says Hey, can someone grab me a beer? And you just ignore them. But it has to be with a purpose. It can't be out of malicious intent. It has to be with a purpose. As it says, you have to have a definitive end in mind for your goals. And as always, be discreet with what you share. Transgression of the law. I mean, I believe they talked about Francisco Pizarro, who conquered Peru in 1532, um, this had to do with gold from the Incan Empire. This is one of the downfalls of reading this book before bed. Is sometimes I I forget the stories. But um, this man led a quest for gold um throughout Peru um because he had heard of El Dorado, and I believe El Dorado. Where did that rumor come from? Uh, da, 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 um, oh, it was about a um Peruan a uh, an Indian chief who uh, would apparently ritually cover himself in gold dust and dive into a lake every year. And through word of mouth, this was transformed into the Golden Man, or better eyes known as the uh, El Dorado. And basically, everyone knows the story of Spain that sent so many conquests over and over and over again to find this. And basically, Spain lost, they spent so much money on these expeditions. They lost so many men, so many resources, and they never found it. And that's because their only goal was for the money. The gold that did find its way back to Spain, and a lot did, was reinvested in more expeditions for the, the gold. Because there was always, they would find gold out there, but they always thought that there would be a golden city, like the final thing, the final piece. In this delusion they had, the greedy neglect, everything power really depends on self-control. I mean, we've heard... Earlier on about a Prussian emperor who knew when to quit expanding his power and just be contempt with the Germany, the, the area he had at the time in the 1800s, when everyone else thought he should keep expanding his empire, you have to have self-control. Understand this. With one exception, death, no lasting change in fortune comes quickly. Sudden wealth rarely lasts. Think of lottery winners. Most spend it by the time it's gone. Never let lust for money lure you out of the protective and enduring fortress of real power. Make power your goal and money will find its way to you. Leave El Dorado for suckers and fools. Okay? 
With power comes money. With money comes power. It's just a matter of which one you get first. And you just cannot be focused on it. Okay, so this is when, it, when I talk about my $30,000 I'm going to make by the end of the year. I almost just have this this inclination that with all I do in the all I do throughout my day that I'm just going to come into this not not immediately and you know I often think about the future and stuff but as the, as the law tells me is you know you need to just focus on the now here's another transgression of the law that they talked about um it had to do with the duke and duchess of marlborough and Basically, the Duchess of Marlborough well, used money to as for sadistic powers. She saw the loss of money as a symbolic loss of power, um, and she used her contortions to basically push people around, and it ended up being her undoing. As uh, when she died in 1726, um, her family was locked out of the palace due to her uh, the, uh, the how, how do I explain? It? She basically she pushed people around so much with her money that by the time she passed away. Everyone hated the royal family, if you will, and basically they use that against her. And this this goes back to the sadist who uses money to push people around. So that's kind of what it was talking about. It, it, I could read it all, but it's not as good as the Incan one. I really like the Incan story better than the better than the other one. Um, here is a uh, do, we, do we have any quotes? I like when they give out little quotes. That, that's that's why that's why I always enjoy. Um, here's a fun one for you. Money is never spent to so much advantage as when you have been cheated out of it. For at one stroke, you have purchased prudence. That's from Arthur Schopenhauer. This is actually one of the longest laws in the book, 12 pages. So we won't go over all the observances, but basically talks all about people being smart with their money, using it for purposes to obtain power, but never really maliciously. Here's the image. I love the image that they always paint. The river. To protect yourself or to save the resource, you dam it up. Soon, however, the waters become dank and pestilent. Only the foulest forms of life can live in such stagnant waters. Nothing travels on them. All commerce stops. Destroy the dam. Destroy this dam that's been made. When water flows and circulates, it generates abundance, wealth, and power in even larger circles. The river must flood periodically for good things to flourish. All right. Keep that money in rotation. Keep making it. Keep giving it. Keep spending it. But don't do it for evil intentions. Here's what, here's what the authority says from The Romance of the Rose by Guillermo de Loras. The great man who is a miser is a great fool, and a man in high places can have no vice so harmful as a virus. Averis, A-V-A-R-I-S-C-E-R-I-C-E. -I, -E -I, -E. I don't know what that word means, fellas. A miserly man can conquer neither lands nor lordships, for he does not have a plentiful supply of friends with whom he may work his will. Ah, whoever wants to have friends must not love his possessions, but must acquire friends by means of fair gifts. From the same way that the lodestone suddenly draws iron to itself, so the golden silver that a man gives attracts the hearts of men. How do I interpret this? Don't necessarily buy your way with friends. Do a deed for them. Hey, can I take your recycling out? Hey, can I help you clean up? Hey, do you need a ride to go somewhere? You know, so certain things like that. Maybe not so much as buying someone something. You know, I do encourage you to buy your loved one something, but it's, it's all a matter of interpretation. We're going to end this with a quote from a yellow kid whale, one of the greatest con artists of all time. I took money only from those who could afford it and were willing to go in with me in schemes they fancied would fleet others. They wanted money for its own sake. I want it for the luxuries and pleasures it could afford me. They were seldom concerned with human nature. They knew little and cared less about their fellow men. If they had been keener students of human nature, if they had given up more time to companionship with their fellows and less to the chase of the almighty dollar, they wouldn't have been such easy marks.
as much as I don't condone him being a con artist, you know, he did he didn't necessarily rob innocent people. He always robbed people who were after the next dollar. That's ex- the exact opposite of what we should be after. The only reversal of this is that the powerful never forget for what is offered for free is inevitably a trick. Friends who offer favors without asking for payments will later want something far deeper than the money you would pay them. The bargain has hidden problems, both material and psychologically. Learn to pay um, and to pay well. Um, on the other hand, they'll offer great opportunities for swindling and deception if you apply it from the other side. Dangling the lure of a free lunch is the con artist stock and trade. Oh, so the only reversal you can make of this is by luring others with a free lunch. Interesting, interesting. I have never been more skeptical of free things after reading this. And that was only Law 40. Law 41. Avoid stepping into a great man's shoes. Excellent one here. What happens first always appears better and more original than what comes after. If you succeed a great man or have a famous parent, you will have to accomplish double their achievements to outshine them. Do not get lost in their shadow or stuck in a past not of your own making. Establish your own name and identity by changing course. Slay the overbearing father, disparage his legacy, and gain power by shining in your own way. So, the one thing about this is this applies more to great men. This definitely applies to great men. And the example it gave was about Alexander the Great. And his father, King Philip of Macedonia, hated, hated Alexander the Great. And they had a rivalry. And King Philip of Macedonia was famous. Everyone knew who he was. Let me ask you, do you know who King Philip of Macedonia is? Or do you know more about Alexander the Great? That is right, Alexander the Great. The, the just legendary, legendary general who conquered. His dream was to conquer the world. Has life not been cut short by illness but basically he he outgrew his father through certain things and one one of the interesting things was is that um alexander always itched to show others how superior he was to his father um a thessalonian horse dealer once brought a prize horse um to sell to uh, philip of macedonia um none of the king's grooms could get near the horse it was far too savage and philip berated the merchant for bringing him such a useless beast watching the whole affair alexander scowled and commented what a horse they are losing for want of skill and spirit to manage him what he had said when he had said this several times he was basically mocking philip had finally had enough and challenged him to take on the horse he called the merchant back secretly hoping his son would have a nasty fall and learn a bitter lesson from the horse but alexander was the one to teach the lesson not only did he mount that horse, Bucacalius, but he managed to ride him at full gallop, taming the horse that would later carry him all the way to India and help him conquer most of Asia. Absolutely amazing story right there. As we all know, um, we can't get caught in the shadows of other people, but I think more so for this law, especially, um, I'm not really comparing this to like my own family because I have no one to like over, over, I don't need to like get over anyone. But I think when it comes to like the business world, if I become a worker, an employee for someone, I get a mentor, and it is someone of power, of intelligence, of money, I will make sure not to overstep them, but I will make sure that if need be, I will have to become greater than them. You kind of have to analyze, you kind of have to analyze the situation and really, really figure it out. Here's the, here's the image, basically, to really paint this law for you. The father, he casts a giant shadow over his children, keeping them in thrall long after he's gone by tying them to the past, squashing their useful spirit and forcing them down the same tired path he followed himself. His tricks are many. At every crossroads, you must slay the father and step out of his shadow. This just applies to anyone 
who you're in the shadow of, you have to overstep them. But the, the reversal here is that you, you just cannot overstep your boundaries. I think we've talked about laws like that before where you have to know your place. You have to be a courtier. You can't try and overthrow the king. You just kind of have to pave your own path. It's kind of what this law means. It's kind of confusing. It's hard for me to kind of articulate. I would encourage you guys to read Law 41 for yourselves. You might understand it better. But um, the authority basically says, beware of stepping into a great man's shoes. You will have to accomplish twice as much to surpass him, which is kind of what it's all about. Law number 42, the final law for today's episode is strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. Oh, man, this was fun. Trouble can often be traced to a single strong individual, the stir, the arrogant underlying, the poisoner of goodwill. If you allow such people room to operate, others will succumb to their influence. Do not wait for the troubles they cause to multiply. Do not try to negotiate with them. They are irredeemable. Neutralize their influence by isolating or banishing them. Strike at the source of the trouble and the sheep will scatter. And basically, I can tell you this law from, from, just, from just straight up, okay? Just with this quote, from the, this is a Chinese saying, when the tree falls, the monkeys scatter. There is always someone in power that when you take them out, everyone else below them crumbles. I want you to kind of think about this from the United States point. Think about how the how the world was under Donald Trump, okay? You know, the economy was doing good. Everything was doing well. Once you took Donald Trump out of the equation, everything fell right into whatever you want to call it. The liberals, the Democrats, their plan to take over, and just everything fell apart. You can, you can even compare this to uh, wars. I mean, ancient, ancient civilizations. When you took out the head, you took out the king, the rest of the people crumbled. This is actually something... Um, as dark as this sounds, this is actually something certain um, killers do, serial killers or people do, is they will first take out the father and kill him, and then the mother and the children scatter. They don't know what to do. They feel helpless. And as dark as that, dark as that sounds, that's just the truth. And I, I don't know how to apply this in a good way. You know, I don't really know how to apply this in a good way. But um, if you ever need to, just know you go for the head. The rest of them will fall apart. It is, uh, it is very dark. Some of these laws are dark, I tell you that. Um, here's the image of a flock of fattened sheep. Do not waste precious time trying to steal a sheep or two. Do not risk life and limb by setting upon the dogs that guard the flock. Aim at the shepherd. Lure him away and the dogs will follow. Strike him down and the flock will scatter. You can then pick them off one by one. It is just... Oh, man, I don't even know if I want to keep talking about it. I mean, it is it's just so, so dark. Um, the only reversal of this... Um, according to Machiavelli, is any harm you do to a man should be done in such a way that you need not fear his revenge. Um, that that I think is very profound is that you just if if you're striking the top guy, you gotta put him out. It's not just fire him, you know. It's not just get rid of him. It's you gotta take him out of the equation. If you don't, he can come back more powerful, more amped, and with revenge. Revenge is, oh man, you never want someone to want revenge over you. That is one of the worst things possible that anyone could possibly want. So you got to be careful with how you apply these laws. But man, oh man, they are uh, oh, they are fascinating to read about. I'll, I'll tell you that. It's going to be it for today. You know, I can only I can only read these again so much. They, uh, they're kind of like the dark psychology, if you will, of the world. But nonetheless, it's better to be aware than unaware of some of these situations.
Let's let's keep this moving with a little more uh, NBA, not NBA, UFC action, if I can speak correctly, um, for our surprise topic for the episode, and that is the GOAT of every UFC division. Of course, every sport has a GOAT, the greatest of all time, the greatest player of all time, but who's the greatest fighter of all time for every weight class? We're going to answer that live right now, and we'll go through... I, you know, I actually only have nine. I only have nine I'm going to go through because I kind of grouped all the women together. So let's actually start with our women goat. And, you know, as much as there is the ones bantamweight division, flyweight division, strawweight division, there's just Amanda Nunes would destroy any of them. And we can look at strawweight and maybe Joanna Jones-Jacek, maybe Rose Namajunas. You could look at flyweight, maybe Valentina Shevchenko. None of them compared to Amanda Nunes. She rules every single woman's weight class. I mean, just unbelievably talented, double champion in uh, bantamweight and in featherweight. I mean, how many? Just, just to, just to give a point of reference, she has so many title defenses. She is just it is unbelievable. Let me go to women's bantamweight. And by the way, featherweight, she has like three title defenses. She holds the most wins. In the bantamweight division, most finishes, most knockouts. Um, where is it? Eight title fight wins in the women's bantamweight division. Nine fight win streak at one point. Um, has avenged all her losses. And by the way, Valentina Shevchenko, who was regarded as probably the second best woman of all time, she's beaten her twice. Mana Nunes retired at the top of her game. She is just absolutely, absolutely ridiculous. Just unbelievably talented. And that's why she's obviously the greatest woman of all time. I mean, it's just, it's undeniable. All right, that's all it is, but let's get on to the men because this is where things get more and more interesting. So, kicking us off at men's flyweight, we have the greatest men's flyweight of all time, Demetrius Johnson, Mighty Mouse Demetrius Johnson. He has the most title defenses in UFC history, the most title defenses in UFC history with 12, 12 championship victories. Unbelievable. He actually holds the longest win streak in flyweight history with 13 wins. The second is Joseph Benavidez with six. No one comes close to how good Demetrius Johnson was. He's He might even be the greatest mixed martial artist in the UFC. It's up there for debate. It's up there for debate. Most submission wins, I mean, most finishes in uh, men's flyweight history. I just, it's unbelievable. Tied for most wins against the guy who's retired now. It's just Demetrius Johnson, unbelievable. I remember seeing the clip of him hitting the, uh, like the, he threw Ray Borg in the air and strapped on a arm bar midair. I mean, who does that? Who does that? He is unbelievably talented. Demetrius Johnson is your flyweight goat. And is up there probably for top, top four of all time for just any weight class. Yeah, Demetrius Johnson is arguably up there. Okay. The next one, bantamweight. This one is, this one's arguably the toughest one. Bantamweight is arguably the toughest one. I, I honestly don't, some some divisions are close, but this one has too many. This one is too many. So, there's a number of factors to look at. First off, we point out Dominic Cruz. Dominic Cruz is the only two-time champion. The only two-time champion, I believe. Did TJ Dillashaw win twice? I, I don't believe so. I do not believe that... He won twice. If I can, if I can uh, confirm this, bantamweight championship history. Um, Dominic Cruz. Oh no, T.J. Dillashaw also won twice. But um, Dominic Cruz won the belt in 2010. Won it again in 2016. Ultimately, hasn't done much after winning both of them. But 
I won't lie, Dominic Cruz is up there. When I was asking people on Verdict MMA, hey, who do you guys have as your uh, goat, if you will, of the Bantamweight division? I mean, some people are saying Dominic Cruz. But as far as history, I mean, he Dominic Cruz has the longest average fight time. Dominic Cruz has, I'm trying to find other statistics for him, not really finding any in regards to Dominic Cruz. He kind of just has those two championship wins, both dominant. I mean, one was over TJ Dillashaw, so that should say something, beating your eye Faber. So Dominic Cruz is arguably up there. Arguably up there. Another person is Henry Cejudo, who, of course, won the belt um, from Marlon Moraes, defended it against Dominic Cruz, so he holds a win. But other than that... I mean, just was more of a flyweight fighter. So I don't necessarily think Henry Sudo could be the GOAT of bantamweight. And this is where we get into really, really controversial territory. Okay, because now I kind of look at some other facts, like Marab Duvashelli. Marab Duvashelli is on a run of a lifetime. Run of a lifetime. Marab Duvashelli currently holds the record for most takedowns landed with 66. The man in second is Ricky Simone with 41. Total strikes landed, Marab is in first with 1,736. The man in second, his friend Aljamain Sterling, 1,670. Marab also holds, is it the longest win streak? Is Marab hold the longest win streak? I'm trying to I'm trying to see if they have a win streak for bantamweight. I'm honestly seeing more control time, total fight time. Um, it's got to be up here somewhere. Win streak, Marab is tied with Aljamain Sterling for the longest at nine. Rob Shelley, arguably after his win over Henry Cejudo, you know, another guy he's beaten, has just proved to be unbelievably, unbelievably good. And his two career losses, one was when the bell ended against Ricky Simone. He um, uh, was unconscious from a guillotine for a bit, and they ruled it a TKO with time expired, which is super dumb. And the other one was a close split decision in his second fight. But since then, he hasn't lost in like five years. An incredible Marab, I think, is definitely up there for bantamweight go. Sean O'Malley, yet again, another controversial opinion here. Sean O'Malley, of course, just recently won the Bantamweight Championship, will be defending it um, in two weeks, in just a week's time, actually. Wow, in a week's time, Sean O'Malley will be defending his belt. And the thing that brings up Sean O'Malley for me is that, actually, he is in the, uh, he holds some records in the men's Bantamweight division. Um, those records, they are just, I wouldn't really call it current record, but I mean, he, he currently is a record holder for these is he has the best significant strike accuracy, 61.2%, which is 3% better than Jack Shore, who doesn't even fight in the weight class anymore. He also has the most significant strikes landed per minute at 7.29.21 more than the guy in second, Luis Smoka, and he has the highest striking differential over any other fighter in bantamweight history with 3.89, the man in second, Johnny Bedford, never heard of him, 2.78. So Shai Malley, his striking definitely warranted up there, and if he can avenge his loss to Marlon Vera, you gotta throw him in the GOAT category, okay? And I, here, here's the thing is that Marab beat... Henry Cejudo. Henry Cejudo beat Dominic Cruz. So if Sean O'Malley beats Marab, I think by process of elimination, we could put Sean O'Malley as the GOAT. But as of right now, as of right now, this could be very, very controversial. Very controversial. Because, I mean, Dominic Cruz had, I believe, only three. He had three title defenses. Um, those being against Uriah Faber twice and uh, once against Demetrius Johnson. Sharpie left there, but I'm going to throw Aljamain Sterling into the mix. I'm going to throw Aljamain Sterling into the mix. Aljamain had three, had three title defenses, wins over Henry Cejudo, TJ Dillashaw, and Piotr Jan. 
Okay, and I understand, you know, he's been knocked out by Sean O'Malley recently, so that kind of dampens dampens his perspective of him. But he has the most control time in division history. Marab's gaining on him. Um, Alderman Sterling, I believe, also is yeah, currently tied for the longest win streak with nine with Marab. Um, gosh, this actually isn't helping my case for Aljamain Sterling. He also holds the most wins in division history. Um, Marab's currently at nine. Sean O'Malley's at nine. Pedro Munoz at ten. But yeah, he holds the most wins in middleweight history at 14. But honestly, man, you know, I think Marab Dovichelli and Sean O'Malley are both gaining. But simply, simply to put it to rest, I'm going to give it to Dominic Cruz, um, simply because, you know, he holds three title defenses, um, he also holds two championship wins, so that's five title wins overall, the most in division history. Two-time bandway champion, beat Uriah Faber twice, beat Demetrius Johnson. I'm going to give it to Dominic Cruz, but, you know, I think Marab and Sean O'Malley are both gaining, and I really lean towards Marab to have a Shelly. But yes, we are going to give Dominic Cruz the bandweight uh, GOAT label, and I honestly don't think that's that controversial. I don't think that's that controversial, but... Is what it is. Let's move on to featherweight where we get into disputed territory. That is right. The featherweight division has only had five champions in its history, which is just utterly, utterly shocking to me. But I know a lot of people are saying Jose Aldo. A lot of people were saying Max Holloway, but it's Volkanovsky. Alexander Volkanovsky is the featherweight goat. And I understand he just got knocked out. But you have to understand is that that still makes him the greatest of all time. If you think about Anderson Silva, he's the greatest middleweight of all time. We're going to get to him in a second. You just have to throw that answer out there right now. But um, but he had losses. He had losses that he had to deal with towards the latter of his career. And that's kind of just what happens with age. Arguably, his close competition, Max Holloway and Jose Aldo, is up there. Jose Aldo did have seven title defenses, held the belt for 1,848 days before losing to Conor McGregor, never defended the belt. Jose Aldo would then also win the interim title. He would then be promoted to the undisputed champion before losing to Max Holloway. Max Holloway would rack up three title defenses before losing to Alexander Volkanovsky. And Alexander Volkanovsky had five title defenses, two over Max Holloway, including beating him for the belt, one over Brian Ortega, one over Chance Young, and one over Yair Rodriguez. Just some stuff for you. And Volkanovski held the belt for 1,526 days. So active. The finishes were amazing. Um, but when we look at the the record holders, I mean, Max Holloway, as much as I said, he holds the most wins in the division. He also holds the most finishes, the most knockouts. Um, most submissions actually goes to Charles Oliveira. He also held the longest win streak at 13. Volk's win streak ended at 11 in the featherweight division. Um, title fight wins, 8 for Jose Aldo. The 6 for Volkanovski is still compelling. I do also point out that Volkanovski beat Jose Aldo, and Jose Aldo lost to Max Holloway, and Volkanovski beat Max Holloway. So a little process of elimination there to just kind of give the boost to Volkanovski. Um, he also holds the longest average fight time. Total fight time, though, goes to Max Holloway, who has almost an hour and 15 minutes more than the guy in second. Um, anyone else? Anyone else um, for the, either of these guys? Conor McGregor actually holds the most knockdowns average per 15 minutes at 2.31. That's a ridiculous stat. Significant strikes landed. Max Holloway holds the most in UFC history, 2,892. That's 1,500 more than the guy in second. Absolutely ridiculous. Striking differential, the most goes to Volkanovski, who almost outstruck all of his opponents by three. 2.96 is what it actually was by me. We'll round that up to three. It's impressive. Total strikes landed, 3,096 for Max. That's 500 more than the man in second, which is Darren Elkins. 
And um, I think that's all the stats we got for all these guys. Yeah, Alexander Volkanovsky is the GOAT. Max Holloway, Jose Aldo, definitely up there. But Jose Aldo's early run is what a lot of fans give him credit for, for potentially being the featherweight GOAT. But for me, it goes to Alexander Volkanovsky. Here's a fun one, the lightweight division. And this one, I mean, I don't know what you want me to say. Khabib Nurmagomedov, 13-0 in the UFC, ended his career 29-0, undefeated, three title defenses. No one really even won rounds against him. And, you know, we have to, when you think of GOAT, they have to have won the championship. They have to have won the belt. And in the lightweight history, we've had some great fighters. I mean, Jeans Pulver won the belt, had two title defenses. BJ Penn held the belt, had three. Frank Edgar had three defenses. Benson Henderson, three defenses. Um, but Khabib's beat Conor McGregor, the biggest fight in UFC history. Beat Dustin Poirier, beat Justin Gaethje. So impressive. And retired at the top of his game. Ridiculous. Charles Oliveira had unofficially three title wins. It only really counts as one. Islam's racked up two title defenses. And I honestly believe if he gets to four, he'll pass Khabib. But... You know, it's he just has to buy his time. Khabib is arguably the GOAT at the moment. When we look at the record books, though, I mean, you're not going to see much. Jim Miller holds a lot of the lightweight rankings. Win streak, Khabib is actually tied with Islam Makhachev and Tony Ferguson for longest of all time. Islam could obviously break that, which would be incredible. Khabib, I mean, just arguably, arguably insane. I'm trying to look for um, any other stats for him. He actually holds... Third most control time with an hour and 29 minutes. Control time percentage, 54.6% is sixth most in division history. Fourth most position, top position time with an hour and four minutes. A lot of stuff. And I know for takedowns, he should be up there if I'm not mistaken. Dude had so many takedowns. Really bringing Dagestani grappling onto the scene. But, um... Do, do, do no 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 actually doesn't where is total takedowns takedowns landed he's third with 59 Gleason to landed more who could be actually beat um could be actually does hold the most record for takedowns in a fight I believe he had 23 in a three-round fight but yeah arguably the best band lightweights getting up there up in the air but Islam Makhachev is definitely on the come up and he's actually could be project which should say a lot moving on to welterweight this one is more interesting than people think because Kamaru Usman is arguably up there. Kamaru Usman had five title defenses in that time. Also uh, finished three of those opponents, knocking them out. Uh, incredible, incredible run for uh, Kamaru Usman in the men's welterweight division. But, you know, it, I, I hate to say it, it, it goes to George St. Pierre. And I don't really hate to say it, because George St. Pierre, nine title defenses. I mean, two-time champion just absolutely insane. Avenged both of his losses to Matt Hughes and Matt Serra, finishing them both. Just an incredible run at the top for George St. Pierre, and actually went up in weight to then win the middleweight championship. But for welterweight, just insane. Most title fight wins with 12 title fight wins. No one even comes close to him. Matt Hughes had nine. He's long gone, retired. Kamaru Usman had six, so half the title wins of his competitor. Now, Longest win streak, Kamaru Usman did get to 15, so he did have more than George St. Pierre. But mind you, George St. Pierre retired. Kamaru Usman actually lost, as I think is a very notable thing to bring up. Control time, most uh, most time goes to George St. Pierre with 2 hours and 38 minutes. Kamaru Usman second, 2 hours 13 minutes. So George has him beat top position time, 2 hours and 18 minutes for George St. Pierre. Usman in fourth with an hour 25 other than that, I mean, I don't really see any other stats for both of these guys. Oh, significant strike defense, 73% for 
for George St. Pierre. Most takedowns landed. George St. Pierre in first. Usman in fourth. 87 takedowns landed in his career. Takedown accuracy, 73.7%. Takedown defense, 97.3% for Kamaru Usman. Very, very fascinating. And yeah, those are all the stats there. GSP is up there for greatest fighter of all time. Arguably, it's disputed, but I do think we have to give him his credit. Utterly amazing. GSP is very good. And Kamaru Usman, credit to you. If you'd have just beaten Leon Edwards, man, you, you might have dang well, dang well become the GOAT. Let's move into the men's middleweight division where I mentioned Anderson Silva is arguably the GOAT, arguably the greatest of all time. Some people think of all time. But um, honestly, Israel Asanya is a close second. Israel Asanya is a close second. I mean, you have to think he even beat Anderson Silva, but Anderson frickin' Silva had 10 straight title defenses, fought the absolute best, the best, finishing them to 2,457 days as champion. He held the belt for seven years in same. And I mean, when we look at wins, Anderson Silva had 14 in the division, um, 11 finishes, eight knockouts, both the most for the division. Uh, submission wins as you get up there? No, a lot of guys, a lot of guys have broken records. Anderson Silva's win streak in the division, 13. His win streak overall of 16 wins is actually the most in UFC history. So, what do you have? A couple light heavyweight fights in there? I don't think he ever went to welterweight, but total fight night bonuses. Anderson Silva has the most with 12. Israel Asanya in second with eight. Um, beats him there. Longest average fight time actually is Adesanya, 17 minutes, 49 seconds. Um, bum, 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 bum. Chess Sonnen holds like all the grappling records, which I find pretty funny. 13 knockdowns landed is actually tied with his Velas Saga. That is super fascinating. Wow, wow. Significant strike accuracy. Oddly enough, Phil Hawes, who's been knocked out in four straight fights, holds the most significant strike accuracy in men's middleweight division history. Um, Joseph Dubassi holds the most strikes landed per minute. Huh. Great volume from the kid. Um, ba -ba -ba boom. Anything else for either of our boys? Nah, but Anderson Silva, arguably one of the goats, arguably one of the greats of all time. Adesanya, you know, arguably suffered some losses, as did Silva in his career, kind of unfortunately. But man, that run in the middle, amazing. Anderson Silva, certainly on the Mount Rushmore of UFC fighters. Final two divisions, we get it going with the men's light heavyweight division. This is the easiest one, and I mean, arguably, you could even say heavyweight, but it is the one, the only, the spectacular, John Jones. And John Jones is undefeated. He's undefeated. We all know the fight against Matt Hamill with the 12-6 elbow. It, it was BS. Look, John Jones held the light heavyweight championship twice, has defended it 11 times, won the men's heavyweight championship, will be defending it soon. I mean, he is just insane. 20 wins, most of all time. Most of all time. The next closest person to breaking that is Tom Blachowicz with 12. With 12. Total fights, he's in uh, fourth with 22. So, even did in less fights than others. 10 finishes in the division is third most of all time. The guys above him, Ovin Sabru and Glover Teixeira, yeah, he beat. Insane. Um, decision wins, John Jones actually has the most with 10. Ryan Bader with 9. Very fascinating. Win streak, John Jones, 13 fight win streak in the division. Incredible. 14 title fight wins in total. That includes interim title fights. Wow. Wow. Literally no one comes close to John Jones. You could say Daniel Cormier, who John Jones beat multiple times. Lyoto Machida, who's beaten him. I mean, he's, be, he's beaten everyone who's even as closest to him. I mean, John Jones is just insane. Total fight time, 5 hours, 40 minutes, 15 seconds. An hour and 15 minutes more than the guy in second 
Um, anything else for the one and only John Jones? 0.2% bottom position time is utterly insane. Never even heard of that. No one has really held him down except for Alexander Gustafson and even DC for a tiny bit. Significant strikes landed. He has 500 more than the guy in second, who's Glover Teixeira, 1,463 for the greatest mixed martial arts of all time, John Jones. Um, anything else? 1,835 total strikes landed, number one of all time. Uh, 95% takedown defense, number one in the men's light heavyweight division. John Jones, arguably the GOAT, just no one comes close. Uh, 23 years old, youngest to, youngest to ever win the belt, had eight straight defenses at one point. It don't get much better than that. Johnny Bun, Johnny Bones Jones, you're an absolute legend, and you truly are the greatest of all time. Now we get into the men's heavyweight division. This one is a bit more tricky than people think. A lot of people just think Stipe is the GOAT. Now, I won't lie, Stipe does have the most straight title defenses with three. Four in total. He was a two-time heavyweight champion. We also do like to give credit to Randy Couture, who became a three-time heavyweight champion, was able to defend the belt three times as well, but on separate occasions. Um, good stuff for him, legend of the game. But when it goes to record books, first off, Andre Olovsky, 41 total fights. I mean, no one's beaten that record. Literally no one's beaten that record. Derek Lewis holds almost all the knockout wins, Andre Olovsky decision wins. Title fight wins, though, Stipe Miocic with six has more than Randy Couture. Very notable. I know a lot of people bring up Francis Ngannou, but the original loss to Stipe and the loss to Derek Lewis will haunt his legacy here. Total fight night bonus is nine for Stipe Miocic most of all time. Uh, anyone, anyone else I can find? A lot of grappling stuff goes to Curtis Blades. Um, knockdowns per minute. Sergey Pavlovich averages 5.9, which is just that's unheard of. He averages five knockdowns. Strikes landed per minute, 8.21 for Sergey Pavlovich. That's pretty nuts. Um, but yeah, that's all that's all you need to know. Stipe, those title defenses are what's really gonna give him the GOAT status for heavyweight. But when we break it all down, so Stipe Miocic, your heavyweight GOAT, he's not the he's not in the top four. He's not on the Mount Rushmore. Light heavyweight John Jones, he is the Mount Rushmore. He's the staple. I mean, think about it. What human being could you put in a room with John Jones and who would walk out alive? John Jones. Middleweight Anderson Silva is, we're going to put him up there for legacy. We're going to put him up there for legacy, but it's obviously disputed. Welterweight, GSP, just arguably amazing, just just insane. Khabib, tough to, tough to put him up there because of the title defenses. I think that's what's really going to hurt him here. He did go 29-0. Did debut in the UFC uh, 16-0? So I do, do kind of find that fascinating. Volk, featherweight. I mean, it's, it's debated with Jose Aldo. Not going to be on the Mount Rushmore. Bantamweight, I don't even know what to say. We gave it to Dominic Cruz, but Marab and Sean O'Malley on the come up. Flyweight Demetrius Johnson, got to be on the Mount Rushmore. So I think we got to do five. Five for the Mount Rushmore. Khabib because he went 29-0. Demetrius Johnson's most title defenses in UFC history. Anderson Silva, longest win streak in UFC history. John Jones, no, no human being can beat him. And GSP, probably the second greatest of all time. Incredible stuff. This was fun. This was fun. It was very cool to analyze. It was very cool to analyze just all, all these things about these guys. All these things about these guys who've just, the legends of the sport that have just poured their blood, sweat, and tears into giving me entertainment. So thank you to the to you all. You're all goats to me. 
And um, yeah, we'll just continue on into the main event. That's right, everyone. No more goats. All right, we've had enough time on the farm. Let's get into the brunt, the grittiness of this episode, which is our UFC Vegas 87 predictions. And being 48 and 22 on the year makes me really think I should be betting. I should be betting, guys. I know ball. I know ball, and this is our 70th episode. We got 11 fights as of right now. We have ran into a multitude, a multitude of cancellations along the way, which is just very unfortunate. If you ask me, it's actually actually kind of heartbreaking when you think about it, all the fights that we could have had. But um, here are some fights that have been canceled. Joel Alvarez was supposed to take on Ludwig Klein. Instead, A.J. Cunningham is stepping in on short notice. Vincius Oliveira was supposed to take on Giannis Gamori. Instead, Giannis is out, and Vincius Oliveira will be taking on Bernardo Sopage. Mohamed Yah was supposed to take on Brendan Moreau, but Moreau withdrew. That fight was scrapped. Juliana Palastri was supposed to take on Josephine Knutson. Knutson withdrew, and that fight just fizzled apart. And Raul Rosas Jr. and Ricky Tercios fizzled before it could even occur. It's just that no time, no time for it to occur. So let's get into it. We've got 11 fights to go over, and I'm excited for this map. Except for this event, I don't know if I'm going to have time for it. It might be a busy bee Saturday, but we'll see. Let's get it going as we head to our first prelim of the night in the men's lightweight division. We kick off this above-average Apex card, as I'll call it. UFC Vegas 87 with a, of course, lightweight match, because I just said between the... Wow, okay. All right, you ready for this? Abdul Karim, Pride of Palestine, Al Salwadi, and Loic the Tajik Tank Radzobov. Holy cow, these boys got some massive names. That is insane. Wow. All right, let's start off with the Pride of Palestine, who has a record of 15 wins, 3 losses. The Tajik Tank, 17 wins, 5 losses, 1 draw. 3 inches in height for Loic Radzobov, your Tajik boy. Both fighters have a 69-inch reach. Um, so no advantage. They're both stand orthodox stance. Let's start with the Tajik tank. Loic Radzibowoff. Loic, um, he's actually fought in the PFL. Of course, we've mentioned that before. 33 years old. He is from Tajikistan and has a boxing and wrestling background. He now lives and trains in Florida at Killcliffe FC Fight Club. Um, some other notable guys who train there. Robbie Lawler, Derek Brunson, Brendan Allen. Guys like that. But um, seven KOs and five subs of his 17 career victories. Actually um, made his UFC debut back in March. Uh, won a unanimous decision for Esteban Rubovich. Thanks to his 11 takedowns. He actually did get knocked down in round number two. But thanks to his takedowns, he was able to wrap up almost eight minutes of control time and get the win. Unfortunately, in June, in his second UFC fight, he fought Matus Rebeke, who knocked him out clean in round number two. Now, to Loic's crescent, Matisse Rebeke is currently 3-0 in the UFC, 18-1 professionally, so a very talented athlete. But, um, yeah, he is coming off a loss, and that chin doesn't look too good. Been knocked down three times in his two UFC fights. Pretty notable. His opponent, Abdul Karim Al-Sal Wadi, of course, he'll be stepping on short notice. Um, because this wasn't the original booking for Loic Radzibov. But Abdul, 28 years old, is actually from Texas, of course, a Palestinian background, his heritage. Um, trains at Fortis MMA, same gym as Ryan Spann, Diego Ferreira, Alex Morono, a lot of other notable guys. Of his 15 victories, 8 KOs, 2 subs, is currently on a 5-fight win streak. Actually fought on Season 7 of Daniel's Contender Series last August, where he beat George Hardwick by unanimous decision. 
Very torn on this one. Very torn. I will say what's standing out to me is the eight KOs that Kareem Al-Swati has gotten. We are in the apex. I don't know how Kareem's takedown defense is. Um, in his lone UFC Apex appearance, he was able to, he was no one shot takedowns on him. In fact, he shot one of six, so it looked like he was hunting for some takedowns. Kind of torn. Kind of torn on who to go with here. Um, I mean, just three inches in height is just not much to go off of, if I'm being honest. Um, and I'll say I might, I, I'm, I'm feeling Abdul. I'm feeling Abdul, Kareem El-Swati, pride of Palestine. I mean, you know what's going on with the conflict over there. Probably going to be fighting with a little extra flair. Loic might be caught off guard by the change due to his original opponent just withdrawing. But, um, yeah, just a matter of how is kind of what baffles me. I'm, I'm just going to say decision. I'm just going to say decision. I don't think I'm ballsy enough right now is this early in the card to pick a finish. So we're going to go Abdul Kareem Al-Sawadi by um, decision. My reasoning, I just saw a TikTok about um, Mike Tyson explaining why sometimes it's harder for sh taller fighters to have success against shorter fighters when there's not really a reach advantage. And he was kind of explaining that they're not in their peripheral punching range. So we'll go with that. Abdul and Loic just got knocked out in June. Moving on, another lightweight matchup between Ludvid, Mr. Highlight Klein, and AJ the Savage Cunningham. Ludvid is 24 and 1 professionally. AJ is 11 and 3. Three inches in height for AJ, 5'10 to 5'7. One inch in reach for Ludvid Klein, 72 inch reach to 71. Southpaw stands for Ludvid Klein. Orthodox for AJ, throwing that right hand. Um, oh, so they did a bit of a swap around on me about the bout order, but no worries, because I have uh, Vincius Oliveira and Bernardo Sapage notes up next, but we can always move around. We'll start off with, who are we starting now with? Uh, Louis Klein, Louis Klein, yes, 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 Mr. Highlight, been in the UFC since 2020, he holds 29, oh no, he is 29 years old, he's actually from Slovakia, Slovakian UFC fighter, he has a boxing background, 8 KOs and 8 subs make up his 20 victories, wow, 16 of his 20 victories by finish. He was supposed to fight Joel Alvarez, as we all know, who is a very highly touted um, prospect outside of the top 15 of the lightweight division. Currently is on a four-fight unbeaten streak, 3-0-1 his last four fights. He had one draw against Jai Herbert last March, and last August he picked up a win over Ignacio Bahamides thanks to three takedowns totaling six minutes of control time. Lubitz gotten some finishes in the UFC. In his debut, he knocked out Shane Young with a kick in round one, then lost to Michael Trezano, then lost to Nate Landwehr, but since then beat Devontae Smith, beat Mason Jones, draw against job, beat Ignacio Bahamides. Tough to really say. I feel like Luby Klein should be a lot better than his record makes him out to be, but hey, that's just me. Let's check in on AJ Cunningham, who's stepping in on short notice. As we all know, AJ is 29 years old from Arkansas. Four KOs and four subs make up his 11 victories, and he's coming off a win in December where he won by TKO in round number one. Before that, his last UFC appearance was actually on Dana White's Contender Series back in September. He got TKO'd in round number two by Steven Wynn, but did show his heart, showed his grit in that, but I will say, AJ, this is a big step up for you. Look, Ludvig has gotten some KOs, has gotten some subs, but I'm going to give Ludvig Klein the knockout here. We're going to go for a round two. Actually, we'll go round one knockout. He just fought. He's probably going to come in like a hothead. Round one KO for Ludvig Klein. Might even be fast. I'm predicting a little fast knockout there. Be, spice it up a little bit. 
keeping us rolling along. We go into the middleweight division up next as Christian CLD Leroy Duncan takes on Claudio Ribeiro. Ooh, a little. This one should be fun. This one, this one should be a good one. I'm, a, I'm excited for this one. It entices me, if you could say. Um, Christian Leroy Duncan, nine and one. Claudio was eleven and four. One inch in uh, height for Christian, six foot two to six foot one, and two inches in reach for Christian as well, seventy nine to seventy seven. Switch stance for Christian. Claudio is orthodox with that right hand of his. Let's check in with CLD first, who will be making his fourth UFC appearance. CLD is 28 years old from England of his nine victories, seven by KO, one by sub. That is right. Only been the distance once for a win. Um, two and one in the UFC made his UFC debut against Dusko Todorovic last March in England. Um, the bout was stopped early because Dusko got injured, so went down as a TKO win for Christian. Then, unfortunately, lost to Armin Petrosian in June, was just outclassed, went the distance, suffered his first career loss. Following that, had a dominant finish of Dennis Tolulin in November. TK owed him in round number two and was just all over Dennis. Totals from the fight, 90 total strikes to 37 in the nine minutes this fight went on. So CLD, a boxer as it comes. But can also, also mix in a little grappling when he needs to. He's got a submission victory. His opponent, Claudio Ribeiro, talk about live by the sword, died by the sword for Claudio Ribeiro. 11 victories, 11 KOs, 4 losses, 4 KO losses. Absolutely wild, man. I'm excited for this one. Claudio Ribeiro is 31 years old from Sao Paulo, Brazil, and that is right. He's actually, actually, he went the distance once in 2018. All right, I stand mistaken. The other three fights, he was knocked out, though. Claudio debuted off of Dana White's Contender Series in January. He did get a round one knockout on Dana White's Contender Series in 2022, 25-second knockout. Unfortunately, got TKO'd by Abdul Razak Al-Hassan in round number two. Following that, in May of last year, he would beat Joseph Holmes by round two TKO, and in July would obviously get head-kicked by Roman Kopilov in a competitive fight. This one's tough. Claudio Ribeiro likes to scrap, likes to get it done. Christian Leroy Duncan, I haven't seen much, you know, to really judge if he's going to struggle with someone like Claudio Ribeiro. Because, I mean, Claudio, he's been able to stand in there with all these guys, but like the Abdul Razak Al-Sam, like the Roman Kopilov, you know, he just got caught and that was that. Um, as for Christian, he is younger. He is younger. I do think that plays a bit of a factor, 31 to 28. But I'm actually leaning Claudio Ribeiro here, and this one might be a bit more shocking. I'm going to say Claudio gets his 12 KO. A round two KO for Claudio Ribeiro. Going to catch Christian Leroy Duncan clean, and that's going to be nighty-night for CLD. Exciting, though. Exciting as it comes. Keeping us rolling on this card, we go to the Bantamweight division for a matchup between Amin Zahabi and Javid the Snow Leopard Basharat. What a nickname, are you kidding me? Amin is 10-2, Javid is a perfect 14-0 with one no contest. 5-9-5-8 gives Javid one inch in height and one inch in reach as well, 69-68. Both fighters throw with that right hand orthodox style. Javid the Snow Leopard Bashrat 14-0 is 3-0 in the UFC with one no contest. The 28-year-old was born in Afghanistan but now trains in England. And when he's in America or lives in England, when he's in the United States, he trains at Extreme Couture. Same gym as Sean Strickland, Chris Curtis of his 14 victories, five by knockout, six by sub, not too shabby. Made his debut off of Dan White's Contender Series, um, where, he, where he got a round three guillotine choke. He would beat Trevin Jones in March of 2022, beat Tony Gravely in September of 2022, and then beat Matus Mendoka in January of 2023. And then in October of 2023, he would unfortunately have a no contest against Victor Henry when he hit him in the nuts in round two, and Victor literally rolled around the ring and cried until the fight stopped. Pretty, pretty brutal. 
Javid hasn't gotten a finish since joining the UFC. It's got to be long overdue. Dude has been using his grappling so far in the UFC. He almost is one of those 14-0 fighters where you kind of question how did they reach 14-0. That's kind of how I feel with him, but you know what? I wish him the best of luck. Ahmed Zahabi, 28 years old, um, 36 years old. Wow. Ahmed Zahabi is 36 years old from Canada. Of his 10 victories, 5 by knockout, 3 by sub. Wow. So 36 years old is notable. Debuted in 2017. Um, picked up a win, then lost in 2017 to spinning back elbow. Uh, took a year off, came back in 2019, lost unanimous decision. Took two more years off, came back in February, got a round one knockout, then beat uh, Ricky Tercios in July 2022. And last year, picked up his third straight win, and uh, he knocked out Algonquin in a minute in front of his home nation of Canada. Look, I think Amazabi is good, but 36 years old in the Bantamweight division. Ain't gonna cut it. Javid's 14-0, undefeated. I want you to give me Javid Basharat all day. All day, Javid. All, all day. And I'm going to say decision. I'm just going to say decision. I'm not even going to play around. Javid, by decision, I just don't know if he can get finished. And I'll say don't. And as confident as I was going in, I was like, oh, I'm going to predict him to get finished. I, I am just too skeptical. I'm too skeptical. Let's get into our next one, another Bantamweight matchup, which was originally supposed to be the second fight of the evening, but just been produced to the second-to-last prelim of the— uh, or second-to-last uh, prelim, I think it is. I don't know how to phrase it, but— Vincius Lockdog Oliveira takes on Bernardo Lion King Sopage. These nicknames, guys. Vincius Oliveira, 19-3. and three. Bernardo Sopage, 11-2. and 5'9-5'6 gives Oliveira three inches in height and four inches in reach as well, 70-66. He is a switch stance. Bernardo is orthodox with his stance. Let's, uh, let's check out Vincius Oliveira. His nickname is Lock Dog. I don't know if that's Brazilian for something, but he is uh, from Brazil, 28 years old. Of his 19 victories, 15 knockouts, two subs, and all of his three losses have come by knockout. And he's currently on a little two-fight win streak. One on season seven of Daniel's Contender Series, getting around one TKO. Um, for that, he had a win. I was to say about Vincius, it's clearly a knockout artist. He's got power in his hands. He takes on Bernardo Sopage, who is coming in on short notice. Um, the 23-year-old um, was born in Albania, but um, now lives and trains in Sweden. Hmm, how about that? Seven KOs, three subs of his 11 victories, so he is only... Uh, Wow, he's finished 10 of his 11 opponents. Very impressive. And both of his two losses have come by decision, so he's never been finished. That is very, very fascinating. Um, What's his face? Uh, the, what is it? Uh, Bernardo Sopage. Um, something about him. He was, uh, I don't know. I wrote down in my notes that he had a, oh my gosh, that is the thing. Bernardo Sopage has another fight booked for next weekend, March 9th. He has a fight booked. I forget. That was what I was going to mention. He has a fight booked March 9th that I find absolutely absurd if he thinks he's going to make this turnaround, but that almost, that almost gives me more hope to pick him, but I'm sorry, Bernardo. You're taking on a guy in Vincius Oliveira. He's got five years on you. He's talented. I'm, I'm going to go Vincius Oliveira. Round one knockout. It's too fun. It's too fun to not pick round one knockouts. I mean, come on. Who doesn't like to pick a round one KO? But, um, yeah. Could go either way, but yes, Bernardo, as of right now, has a fight booked for next week. And don't know if that can even legally happen, but... Either way, it's fun to theorize. And we get to our final prelim of the fight, Eric Anders versus Jamie Pickett. Um, I mean, just a typical Apex fight. What would you expect? Eric, ya boy Anders, 15-8 and eight with one no contest. Jamie the Nightwolf Pickett, 
13, and 10. 6-1 to 6-2 gives Jamie Pickett one inch in height. 80 inch reach for Jamie, 75 for Eric Anders. That's going to play an impact. Southpaw stands for Eric Orthodox for Jamie Pickett. Let's check in with Eric Anders, the 36-year-old. Um, is from Alabama and actually went to the University of Alabama. Of his 15 victories, 9 KOs, 1 sub. Eric, been in the UFC since 2017. He's fond of who's who. I mean, he took Lito Machida to a split decision. Had a fight of the night against Thiago Santos. Uh, lost the round tree. Beat um, Gerald Merchard. Beaten Darren Stewart. He's kind of a guy who's beaten lower level, lost to higher level. Back in June, he lost the fight of the night to Marc-Andre Barriot. Dude is clearly talented. Last win came in December 2022 where he got around round two TKO of Kyle Dacus. Dude has lost a submission. Been knocked out, gotten knocked out, gotten subs. Eric Anders is all over the place. His opponent, Jamie Pickett. Jamie Pickett is 35 years old from North Carolina. Of his 13 victories, 8 by knockout, 1 by sub. He's currently on a 4-fight losing streak. Not pretty at all. Jamie's been in the UFC since 2020. He actually had three appearances on Dana West Contender Series. Got submitted on the first ever episode of Dana West Contender Series of Season 1 on July 11th, 2017. In round number one, got submitted. Came back in season three in 2019 and got out grappled to a decision loss. Then was brought back for season four in August of 2020 at around two TKO. Was brought into the UFC, lost to Tafan and Chukwani in his debut. Then got knocked out by Jordan Wright in uh, May of 2021. And then actually got a win in October of 2021. Last win came against Joseph Holmes, January 15th, 2022. Since then... Got finished twice in 2022 and got finished once in 2023. Bounced to Bo Nickel. Last loss came in August to Josh Frim. So he sits at 2-6 and six in the UFC and overall is 3-8 three and three and eight his last 11 fights. Holy cow, Jamie Pickett. This is definitely a loser-loses um, winner goes home. I mean, Eric Andres is 1-3 his last four. But um, yeah, Jamie, I don't know what to do with you. I really don't. Eric Anders has gotten nine KOs, one sub. You know what? Ah, I'll just go decision. We're going to go Eric Anders' decision. I'm just, I'm not confident either of you guys. It's a toss up. 36, 35. I don't think Jamie Pickett's UFC quality from what I've seen. So we're going to go decision for Eric Anders. And that will be that. But with that, let's get into the main card because this is an absolutely amazing main card i am blessed to be able to watch it so um yes and as of right now eric Anders and jamie pickett is listed on the uh, main card but i don't think it officially is i don't think it officially is verdict mma check your website the official main card kicks off between ranked flyweights. That's right, we go with the men's flyweight division for multiple ranked fights, but we kick off this one with a number 12 ranked Steve Ersig taking on number 9 ranked Matt Schnell. Ooh, fun one. Matt Danger Schnell, Steve Astro Boy Ersig. Matt is 16 and 7 with one no contest. Steve Astro Boy Ersig, 11 and 1. Both fighters are 5'8. Two inches in reach for Matt Schnell, 70 to 68. Both fighters throw with that right hand, orthodox style. Let's get it off with the number nine ranked Danger Matt Schnell. Matt Danger Schnell. Matt is 34 years old from Louisiana. Of his 16 victories, two by knockout, nine by sub. And um, he actually had canceled bouts in June and November. So it's been a while since he fought, which was December of 2022, where he got knocked out by Matthias Nakalu. Matt Schnell, rarely in a boring fight. Been in the UFC since 2016. I mean, listen to the names he's fought. 
Rob Font, Louis Smoka, Alexander Pantoja, Random Royval. I mean, just, but that's a color ranked. A lot of ranked opponents in there, here and there. Hasn't really beaten the best. I mean, he's gotten a couple round one triangle chokes. Last finish was actually a triangle choke in round two. Was back in July. But yeah, he hasn't fought in over a year. Been a while for Matt Schnell. And as for Steve Ersick, he has been for rest. The 28-year-old from Australia has one knockout in six subs. Is currently on a 10-fight win streak. 2-0 in the UFC. Debuted last June, winning a performance of the night for his short-nosed win over David Dork, who was ranked number 10 at the time. We'll follow that up with an unranked win over Alessandro Costa in November. Steve is coming in with the utmost confidence. And as of right now, I am leading Steve Ursig by decision. Just all day. Matchnell, I don't think. He might even get finished. He might even get finished by Steve Ursig. Just I think not fighting for over a year is what's going to do Steve in, um, or do, uh, do uh, Matchnell in, in favor of Steve. Um, that's just how I feel. That's just how I feel. I mean, Steve Ersig, 10-fight win streak. Dude has not lost since his third pro, since his second pro fight. So, incredible stuff. Excited to see what happens there. Moving on to our next fight, and by gosh darn it, we get more ranked fighters as the number 13th ranked Umar Nurmagomedov takes on the debuting Bexat, the Turin warrior, Al-Makan. Wow. Umar, 16 wins, 0 losses. Belzat Akmasum, 17-1. and one, Or Al-Makan, actually. 5-8-5-7 gives Umar 1-inch in height. 1-inch in reach as well, 69-68. Orthodox stance for both of these men. Belzat Al-Makan will be taking on Umar Nurmagomedov. Wow. By the way, no one wants to fight Umar Nurmagomedov. Last August, he did have a fight booked against Corey Sanhagen. Fortunately, he got injured and had to plow that. And since then... His manager, Ali Abdasah, has just been not able to find anyone for Umar to fight. It's been a shame because this guy is so fun to watch. Umar, 28 years old, from Dagestan, Russia. I mean, come on, the wrestling background. He's Khabib Nurmagomedov's cousin. We just talked about him earlier, the lightweight goat. This guy is so talented. Of his 16 wins, 2 by knockout, 7 by sub. Currently 4-0 in the UFC with 3 finishes. Utterly insane. Last fought in January of 2023. So it's been a year since he last fought. But by the way, they just haven't been able to get anyone to fight this guy. Everyone's scared of him. It was a round one knockout of Rione Barcelos. Got a performance in the night for it. Umar is deadly. By the way, two round one finishes in the UFC. His opponent, Belzat Al-Maksumi. This is the al Makan. I mean, this is the only guy they could get. Are you kidding me? Belzat, but was it? It's Bekzat, Bekzat, my goodness. 26 years old from Kazakhstan, has 13 KOs and two subs. Currently on a nine-fight win streak. This guy is legit. This guy's legit. It's a shame he's still have to fight so early. Are we witnessing like a little Islam Makachev, Armin Sarukian matchup here? I don't know if um, Umar's going to get some trouble from Belzat. Belzat seems like a pretty talented fighter, but as for me, I'm going to go with Umar. I like the XP on Verdict MMA, so I am going to say Umar wins by round two knockout, but I honestly could see this being a fight of the night grappling fest. Umar Nurmagomedov is just too good. I truly believe he can become a world champion, but don't sleep on this Belzat Almakan guy. This guy is probably, probably the closest Umar is going to get to a tough challenge. Because, I mean, when I look at the rankings, when I look who's above Umar, Pedro Munoz, he can beat. Dominic Cruz, he can beat. Jonathan Martinez, he can beat. Rob Font, he can beat. Devison Figueredo, he can beat. Song Dong could maybe beat. Henry Cejudo, I also think he can beat. Marlon Vera, he can beat. Piotr Jan would probably offer some challenges, but grappling, he could beat. Sandagan, he could beat. I honestly don't think it. 
anyone can beat Umar Nurmagomedov. I legit think this guy is a future bantamweight champion. Calling it right here, Umar Nurmagomedov, bantamweight champion. I love it. He might even be in our 2024 predictions for rising star of the division. We'll have to go back and visit that. But yes, Umar Nurmagomedov is my pick. Nurmagomedov. Sorry, I say that super fast. Keeping us a moving another flyweight bout between the number seven ranked Alex Perez and number eight Muhammad Mokayev. A little fun action here. Alex Perez and Muhammad the Punisher Mokayev. Ooh, dirty. Alex, 24 and 7. Muhammad, 11 and 0. One no contest, undefeated. 5 7 to 5 6 gives Muhammad one inch in height and a notable five inches in reach. 70 to 65. Orthodox stance for both of these men. Let's start off with Alex Perez, currently ranked number seven. Um, hasn't fought since July of 2022 when he was submitted by Alexander Pantoja in round number one. Alex Perez is 31 years old from California. Of his 24 victories, half are by finish, 5 KO, 7 subs. And of his 7 losses, 5 are actually by um, submission. So, by the way, Alex Perez has had 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. He's had 9 fights in the UFC 10, if you include Dana White's Contender Series. He has had 12 canceled bouts. And on separate occasions, he's had six straight canceled bouts and four straight canceled bouts. This guy is the pull-out king. He's obviously ran into issues where his opponents have pulled out, but the majority of them have been from him pulling out. It's insane. No wonder he doesn't have any children. You're kidding me, Alex Perez. You're kidding me. My goodness. Be it his last two losses are to Alexander Pantoja and Davison Figueredo. The dude hasn't fought in, in freaking, what are we up to, 18, 19 months. That's crazy. And I know we just watched Brian Ortega combat against those odds by winning. But I mean, oh my gosh, Alex Perez, what's going on? But just as it should be, Alex gets greeted with the Punisher, Muhammad Mokayev. The 23-year-old, born in Dagestan, now lives and trains in England of his 11 wins, one by knockout, six by sub. Currently 5-0 and in the UFC with four finishes, all by submission. Beat Cody Durden in his UFC debut in 58 seconds, then Grappled Charles Johnson, took him down 12 times, 12 times. Submitted Malcolm Gordon in round three with an arm bar back in October 2022. In March of 2023, after probably like almost breaking his ankle, was able to submit Hafel Filo um, in round number three and did the same thing to Tim Elliott last October. Submitted him with an arm track on round number three. This guy has gotten three round three finishes, one of which had 34 seconds left. The other fight had 28 seconds left. The other one had under two minutes left. This guy is always dangerous, always hunting for the finish. Mohamed Mokayev, round one submission. I cannot stand Alex Perez. He never fights. This is Mohamed Mokayev's time. And put him in the game. Put him and Umar Nurmagomedov in UFC EA Sports 5. Give me it. Round one submission for Mohamed Mokayev. I mean, just lock it in. Lock it in. It's the night of the Dagestani boys. Mohamed Mokayev, Umar Nurmagomedov. Little dream team action right there. I love it. Let's get into our co-main event, boys, as we go to the men's light heavyweight division for a fun one between two guys just outside of the rankings, Vitor Petrino and Tyson Pedro. Vitor is 10-0, undefeated. Tyson Pedro, 10-4, four losses. 6-3-6-2 gives Tyson one inch in height and two inches in reach, 79-77. Both stand in the orthodox fighting position. Vitor Petrino is 26 years old from Brazil of his 10 victories, 7 by knockout, 1 by sub. He is a perfect 3-0 in the UFC. He actually knocked out Rodolfo Bellato on Dana White's Contender Series back in September of 2022. 
debuted last March, beating Anton Turkaljic in a fight of the night, then finished Marcin Percino for his only submission win of his career in July, and last November knocked out Modestus Bukakis cold with a left hand. Absolutely brutal. Vitor Petrino has power. He can grapple. This guy can do it all. His opponent, Tyson Pedro, 32 years old, from Australia. Of his 10 victories, 5 by knockout, 5 by sub for a 100% finish rate. And by the way, of his four losses, two by decision, two, one by knockout, one by finish. Um, he's been in the UFC since 2016. Actually holds wins over Paul Craig and Khalil Roundtree Jr. Uh, losses to Mauricio Rua and Ovid St. Preux. Left the UFC for four years due to injuries. I don't know if he got cut. Came back in April of 2022, round one knockout. August 22, round one knockout. Was shockingly beat by Modestus Bukakis last February, but in September, got a two-minute knockout of Anton Trakaljic. Very talented. This is going to be a competitive fight. I'm saying a decision win for Vitor Petrino. I think he's going to remain undefeated 11-0. I think his overall abilities are better than Tyson Pedro, but I don't think Tyson Pedro is going to be as easy to finish as the past opponents have been for Vitor Petrino. But if he does... I would not be surprised. I honestly will not be surprised. Vitor Petrino is very, very talented. I was sleeping on him last fight, and I will not make that mistake again. By the way, whoever wins this is probably getting a shot at the rankings against someone like Dominic Reyes, Dustin Jacoby, Ryan Spann, Anthony Smith. They're probably getting a shot at the rankings following this win here. We'll see what happens. And with that, folks, that leads to our main event of the evening as we head to ranked heavyweight action between the number 12-ranked Jarzinho Rosenstruck and the unranked uh, Shamil Gaziev. Any nicknames for my boys? We, Of course, we have Jarzinho Biggie Boy Rosenstruck, and Shamil Gaziev doesn't need a nickname. He just goes by the knockout king. I made that up on the spot, and I don't actually know if that's true. Uh, Jarzinho Rosenstruck, 13-5. and Shamil Gaziev, a perfect 12-0. 6-4 to 6-2 gives Shamil two inches in height. Both fighters have a 78-inch reach and an orthodox stance as well. Excellent matchmaking, UFC. Excellent matchmaking for this heavyweight main event. Jarzinho Rosenstruck, biggie boy. Been in the UFC since 2019, and this will be his sixth main event in the UFC. Um, he's currently won one, two. He is one, two, and lost three. One, two, and lost three. Um, of his five losses, they've all come in the last four years. After starting out a perfect, a perfect ten and zero, he would run into Francis Ngannou, who would knock him out in 10, 20 seconds. Sorry, he would then knock out Junior Dos Santos in twenty twenty, lose a full five rounds to Cyril Gan, knock out Augusto Sakai in round one, get out grappled by Chris Blades. Get TKO by Alexander Volkov in round one, but it was kind of an early stoppage. Knockout Chris Dawkins in December 2022. In his lone fight last May, he was supposed to fight Derek Lewis actually in November, but that got canceled. In May, though, he was unfortunately given the task of taking on Halton Almeida, where he was promptly submitted in round number one. He did defend a takedown, though, so Biggie Boy put up a fight. But yes, after starting 10-0, he has gone 3-5 in the last four years. Pretty notable, if you ask me. Another interesting thing that I'll bring up after Shamil is going to be the takedowns for this fight. Because Shamil Gaziev is 34 years old. He's no spring chicken. Born in Dagestan. Now lives in... Oh, actually, forgot to read uh, Jarzinho's stats. How about that? 35 years old from Suriname, Africa. Trans-American top team. 12 KOs of his 13 wins. Pretty fun. Shamil Gaziev, born in Dagestan, now lives in Buran, trains at the same gym as Islam Makachev, KHK MMA. Of his 12 victories, 8 by knockout, 3 by submission. 
Um, won a Namus Contender Series in September, Season 7, with a Round 1 submission. Then his UFC debut brutalized Martin Boudet on the final uh, event of 2020, UFC 296, where he got performance the night for his Round 2 TKO of Martin Boudet. He outstruck Martin Boudet in that fight 60-13 to in the 5 minutes, 56 seconds it lasted. That is just wild to me. That is absolutely wild to me. Here's what I want to point out, and that is the takedowns, because... Takedown defense for Jairzinho Rosenstruck is at 73%. Okay? 73%. He also absorbs 3.15 strikes per minute. 45% defense on strikes. Um, his takedown defense, takedown averages, I mean, you know, it's tough. It's actually, it doesn't really give as much as I thought it would. But both of these guys like to swing. But I'm actually going to say Shamil Gaziev gets this to the ground either by knocking down Jarzinho, landing a takedown. We saw it on the contender series. He landed a quick knockdown and immediately tried to take the back. I think that's good. what's going to happen. I'm giving Shamil around one submission. It's happened before to uh, Jarzinho Rosenstruck. I mean, it's just been tough going, but... Like I said, Shamil's unranked. This could be too big of a step for him. Or Jairzinho Rosenstruck is heading out of the division. But nonetheless, we're picking Shamil Gaziev. I like this guy. I actually think I predicted him to have the biggest rise in 2024. So we're backing him a lot. So Shamil Gaziev will be the boy we're riding with. Round one submission. Because I want all that verdict. Um, XP. You know how I be. And that'll do it, ladies and gentlemen. That'll conclude the episode. That'll conclude the episode. And in a way, I'm concluding my first half of my semester here at college. I mean, I go to spring break tomorrow, which is going to be exciting. It's going to be a fun spring break, but, you know, I'm, I enjoy college. I enjoy doing stuff here at college. And you know what? Maybe I'm dealing with personal issues just in my own brain of overthinking about life and stuff and situations going on. But I just like to know that, you know, I'm surrounded by supporting people. And honestly, life is good. I don't really have that much to complain about. It's one of those things like, oh, you know what? Something bothers me throughout the day. Suck it up, Zach. Get over it. And you get a little midday UFC. That's right, guys. This event goes down in the afternoon. The main event will probably be happening around 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock. Perfect. Should be hanging out with some of my boys Saturday night. But um, yes, things to come in the future. We are working on new guests potentially. Um, we might be starting a website. Working on filming. We got a lot of stuff cooking. It's all about getting it materialized and bringing it to fruition. So with that, everyone, have an amazing weekend. We've just completed February. This should drop uh, Friday morning being March 1st. So happy March. St. Patrick's Day is in our future. Can't wait for that episode. And as for now, I will catch you next time on the Surprise Jab Podcast. Episode 70, a huge accomplishment.